0: Today, we have the amazing Brittany as our guest, and I'm so excited about this because I've been following her on TikTok for quite some time. And we were emailing back and forth after she agreed to come on the show, and she recommended a book that I had not heard of. So I started reading it. It's called Death of the Artist, and I feel like it is such an amazing place to begin this episode because of what we intend to discuss, and I want to share at least one quote from it to start off with, which is, first we had fast food, then we had fast fashion, now we have fast art, fast music, fast writing, fast video, photography, design, and illustration made cheaply and consumed in haste. And this ties into this episode because we're going to talk about the entertainment industry, what it's like to be a content creator, the ups and downs of those worlds, how they intersect, how they're different from one another. We'll talk about comparisons, expectations, maybe body standards, all of these things that tie into our relationship with entertainment and media, whether we are the consumer or the creator. And Brittany, I'm curious for you, what is it about this book that resonated with you and why was it so top of mind? Is it one of your favorite resources on the subject matter and and when did you read it?
1: This is a very recent read for me and I'm someone who even though I'm a very naturally optimistic person, like I love to know they're real. Like I want to know what's going on. And so this book just really came across my Amazon recommended list and the name was kind of provocative. And so I was like, ooh, are the arts dying? And I've been working in the entertainment industry since I'm in my twenties and I've seen a lot of changes and I'm just pessimistic in my screenwriting groups and we're like, this is dying. But I didn't realize it actually like had some data behind it. This wasn't just us being like, pessimistic, like writers on Twitter. And so the more I read the book, the more light bulbs went off on my head and understanding, yep, this is going on. Yep. I'm experiencing this. Oh, yep. I see this happening. And it really helped me understand things that, cause I come from a film TV background, specifically independent film, non-studio film. So I've seen so many changes happen in that world. And I didn't quite under I understood them from working in it, but not necessarily the market dynamics, and the more i read this book i understood not only what was going on in my own career but what i was seeing going on with content creators and really like it helped me put into words a disconnect that i was seeing happening that i was it was hard for me to explain to people and so it's become a recent favorite definitely
0: and that makes so much sense why i'm drawn to you both jason and i have backgrounds in entertainment and for me i thought that that was going to be my whole career and it, it seemed to make a transition of some sort because when I was in film school, we didn't have YouTube. And when I was growing up, I was doing a lot of the th- things that I'm doing now, but not digitally. I was doing them on VHS tapes and eight tapes and eventually film to an extent of recording, documenting my life, making journals. And so when YouTube came up, it was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm already doing. This is exciting. And as I was reflecting on what you post on TikTok, I was reflecting on some of the things you want to talk about today. Plus that book, I'm thinking of how it's like some things feel the same and some things feel so different. And there's a lot of confusion. So what I mean by things that feel the same, like when I look back on, as I've been doing very recently, actually going back through all these like short video projects I would make as a teenager and in college and how, That's not far off from what people do on platforms like TikTok. But the big difference is that I was doing that for myself, for my family and my friends. And it was so satisfying, Brittany. And I'm curious if you were doing those sort of things, like to hear more about what led you to your career. But I believe Jason was doing those things. I'm looking at these old VHS tapes or whatever medium I transferred them to and like, it's so similar to what I see people posting on TikTok. And I was surprised by that. I thought, wow, okay. So this is like the standard thing that teenagers do. <laughs> you know, if you have access to a camera, which most people do these days, when I was growing up, not as a common, but still fairly common. Like you would pick up the camera, you document with your friends, maybe you'd make some skits, like all that stuff we've seen evolve on platforms like Vine and TikTok. And now it's like a form of expression. But the big difference is, Now there's an opportunity to make money and to become famous. And I think that makes it incredibly confusing. I feel grateful not to be a teenager right now during this time, because if I had the same state of mind that I did when I was a teenager, I just think art would feel insanely confusing. And I feel like I would have very little sense of identity And that's something that I want to discuss with you, too. And I see coming up in your amazing commentary on TikTok and how you explore things from a data and experience perspective. It just seems like you're trying to support people that are confused like that. That's part of what I see your channel. It's like you're addressing the things that people are struggling with and verbalizing themselves, but they don't have the data or they're not looking at it from the same perspective you are. And you're bringing in that research, you're bringing in that experience. And I'm curious, like behind the scenes, you must be seeing even more than you have time to post about, like as you're scrolling through your TikTok feed, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of this too. A lot of confused teenagers, or let's say generationally, like you're seeing confused Gen Z, but also millennials and maybe some Gen Xers like Jason and and older generations that are on TikTok. But you know, it's interesting to see how the different generations are struggling with this and where we have the same struggles and where our struggles are different. And I'm kind of curious, like, what are the common challenges that you're noticing through people's expression on TikTok? And where do you think it's going? If you're feeling pessimistic about it, like, do you think that TikTok is good or is it like going in a dangerous direction for our mental health?
1: These are really good questions. I think for one, I, as you were talking about being a teenager and creating, and I did a lot of the same things. I was a writer that, and I had like a never ending book, like when I was in, that I was writing in elementary school. But I think the biggest difference between like that time and now is I, like, I wasn't trying to be good if that makes sense. Like I was just making stuff. I was just writing and where I feel so terrible for the kids now is that they feel pressure, not just to create, but like be good at like 17 and 18. And That's where I agree that I'm not jealous of these kids at a certain point because like I really I know for a fact that I created a lot of shitty product like I created a lot of shitty work, but I felt free to do that like I actually don't like as someone now I look back and say that was shitty but at the time I honestly wasn't even thinking of that and it gave me the freedom to like I decided okay well this little video I directed it was kind of shitty maybe I'm not a director. You know, maybe that's not my thing. And then I wrote things and I decided I really loved writing and I kept going with it. Then I found out I really love organizing. So I became a, so I started going more into producing. But I think what's the most damaging for a lot of people creating on TikTok is the pressure not just to create, but to be good. And not just to be good, but be good enough to go viral. Then not just to be good enough to go viral, but then good enough to get paid. And Really, I think what's tough for me to watch people do is have expectations that they're going to pick TikTok up and be good at it really quickly, learn the ins and outs of it really quickly, and then be successful on it long term. Because it's just, there's no other realm in the entertainment industry where you're just going to like learn a skill, do the skill, be good at the skill, then monetize the skill. There's nothing that else that works like that. And what's, I think, really damaging to people is that people are picking up on these apps. Like TikTok is one, YouTube, they're picking up these things and they see, it's survivorship bias. They see the people who are successful all the time. They don't see how many people are failing. And that's where I feel like people are, that's where I feel bad for people. Cause like as someone coming into, into the industry I saw a lot of failure, right? Like I saw so many people fail. And so many people say, I went into porn because I failed at TV writing or like I went into this and these are just real life stories. This just is what it is. This is how most people go into making infomercials and making like no one started out to work wanting to work at TMZ. There's no one who decided that they wanted to like work at TMZ. You end up working at a place like that. And so I just say that to say that people <laughs> just have such an overblown expectation of success when in reality, the entertainment re- industry has such a high rate of failure And I just wish people would understand that more and not take it personally, because people do.
2: Yeah, I think what comes up for me is this notion that on some level, I think, is accurate, but also misleading and somewhat predatory. And it's the notion that we see not only in in the entertainment industry, but we also see it kind of in the, I guess, wellness, coaching, spirituality, self-help, whatever the fuck you want to call it thing. It's this idea that everyone can be amazing at what they do. And it's almost like this pseudo childlike psychological programming, like almost like a parent being like, no, baby, everything you do turns to goal. You're the greatest blah, blah, blah ever. You're the greatest. Like when I was growing up and I was playing soccer, I sucked, sucked, sucked at soccer. I was so, and I hated soccer. Right. And so even if my mom would try and blow smoke, I'm like, mom, I know I'm not good. I know damn well I'm not good, okay? you, you like, no matter, I, I love you, and I know you're trying to encourage, but I know I suck. I think as adults, the danger is, especially in entertainment, because we're talking about that, you know, it's the tale as old as time, right? The person from small town Iowa who thinks they're the most talented, most beautiful, most unique person says, fuck this small town in Iowa, I'm going to move out to LA or New York and I'm going to make it. I'm going to show everyone in my small town they were wrong about me. I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be a this, be a that. I mean, it's how many millions of human beings over the years have done that in LA and New York, right? We don't need to recant those tales. But I think the danger is that everyone thinks they can be a star. And so, on one hand, I'm in a bit of an interesting perspective conundrum because I like social media and all the digital technology in the sense that. If I go to Guitar Center and get all the right equipment, equipment, I could cut an album out of my house, right? There is a freedom as artists now with the technology, the platforms that are making it available. But what it's doing is it is diluting, I think, the, how do you want to say this? Not the value. It's making it hard to find really good people in certain instances because there's so much content and so many fucking people doing it. So it's this weird thing of like, hate to break it to you. But your chances of being a star and being and I'm like you, Brittany, I'm I'm hopeful but pessimistic as hell. It's like, look, statistically, you're not going to make it, kid, okay? It doesn't mean don't go for it. I'm not saying don't go for it, but to your point, what you said, Britt, about like have your expectations tempered, don't go in thinking you're the shit, that you're God's gift, right? Like do your art, do it for your reasons, but if you're doing it to be famous and rich and successful, you're probably going to get knocked on your ass. Right, So then it becomes, well, if fame and wealth and power is not the motivation, what's a more sustainable motivation or rather a more soulful motivation than that? And maybe some people realize they don't even want to do the art anymore if they don't get rich, famous, or successful because that was their only motivation, right? I mean, I'm sure you see that a lot, right? And, And in a way, it kind of weeds out, I don't even know what, it weeds out a lot of people, right? If they realize they're not going to get all that stuff handed to them, and then the question I go back to is like, well, what is the motivation? So I'm I'm putting it back to you, Brittany, as as a writer, as an artist, what has kept you going? What keeps you going?
1: It's so funny you say that because I remember walking into my one of my first internships, um, and on the first day, everyone looked at me. When I say everyone, I mean the producer in charge and her assistant, and they said, "Why are you here?" And I said, "Oh, I want to write. I want to learn how to like be a producer or learn how to write." And they said, "Okay, well, if you're then they said, good." And they said, "How much money do you care to make?" I said, "Well, I'm like 21, so I haven't thought about it." And they said, "Good, and don't think about it, (laughs) because the likelihood that you're going to get rich and famous because of this is unlikely." So I'm glad you're here because you like to write, and that's the facts. I'm here, and I think that like it's really important to say I'm from Southern California. Like I'm from like I'm this is my home, right? So that being said, I have never not been around people who work in the entertainment industry. Like in my high school, there, were pe- there was a, someone, people who there who like, were on Disney Channel. And they were not rich. They were normal like us. They wore the same clothes we did. Yes, we saw them on TV, but there was no material difference between them and I. So even from a young, from my formative years, I never had the intent, the impression that most people in the entertainment industry lived very differently than I did. Like my mom had a friend who was a camera operator. Like one of her friends became a singer at one point. So it is not to say that I know famous people, but it's a company town. So you're going to know people who work in the company. Like So that being said, I think that like where I have a disconnect with a lot of people on the internet is that I have always viewed the entertainment in a very realistic way. Like some people grew up in Pittsburgh around car of steel companies, Detroit around car companies. I grew up in LA around the entertainment industry. Right. (laughs) And so it's not weird to me. And that's where TikTok has kind of been a weird experience for me to be very honest, because this, it seems so average to me. This is so normal. Like this is like, this is a part of my, I'm so aware of the reality of the entertainment industry. It blows my mind that people don't know. (laughs) And so that's where I have a disconnect, where I have to, where I had to step back and learn, okay, so like, what is the fantasy (laughs) and what is the reality? Because I'm a little bit disconnected from the fantasy. I'm very disconnected. Like, I, of course, have an impression, of course, have a hope that I'm going to have make a livable wage in the entertainment industry and live a very like upper middle class life. But I've never had the impression that I'm going to get like rich doing this. Like, like, absolutely not. Glenn Mazzara, who was the creator of The Walking Dead, he does well for himself, but he is not a millionaire. Like You can look on his IMDb. He's not necessarily banking shows every season. But most showrunners aren't, right? That's just not the nature of the industry. But the difference of not knowing that is that you're looking for different expectations. You're looking at Steven Spielberg. You're looking at, like, Tom Cruise. And you're like, oh, yes, that's what I'm going to do. But it's like, no. <laughs> so I don't. I feel like I went off. Oh, totally. <laughs> I feel like I went a little bit off.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's interesting. One thing that really irritates me on tiktok is like even just thinking about it is making me annoyed when people post like why haven't i gone viral or like they'll either say that about themselves or they'll write it in the comments it it, there's so much focus on going viral on tiktok and speaking of expectations i think part of that is because unlike other platforms for the most part your chances of going viral on TikTok are much higher, but that doesn't mean that anything great's going to happen. You know, I've had videos go viral, whatever you want to call that. And like, it really didn't do much. And I actually remember earlier this year, I had one video go over a million views fairly quickly, which is for me an unusual experience. And I actually felt a bit depressed about it because I, as it was happening i was thinking there's part of my brain that has been conditioned to believe that going viral is going to like be something important and significant and there's like you know i literally had people for weeks like congratulating me for that and i thought wait a second like why is go- having a viral video that you didn't even intend to go viral cuz you can't really Why is that something to be congratulated? Why why do you get a pat on the back when you have a viral video? And I think it's because we have been conditioned to believe that going viral is this huge achievement. But what does that achievement even mean? And it left me feeling empty inside because nothing really came of it except for those congratulations. And I feel that way so much about the entertainment industry Once I moved to Los Angeles after growing up thinking all of those things, like from the outsider perspective, Brittany and Jason had a similar experience. I was all the way on the other side of the country growing up with this idea that, you know, LA is the place to be to make it. And, And I remember coming to Hollywood for the first time and like that experience so many people have when they see the Walk of Fame and like they're in this atmosphere, the Hollywood sign. And there's like this feeling of like, ooh, like it's exciting and special and something magical is going to happen here. And I love living in L.A., but you know, it hasn't been that magical experience and that's okay because there are other benefits obviously to living in Southern California and then just working in this industry and seeing like, and by this industry, I mean like working in production offices and seeing how miserable most people are. And to your point, Brittany, even the top people on set or the top people in the office, like they don't seem that happy regardless of their status or how much money they might be making they're just thinking about the current project and then that ends and they're on to the next project and as we've seen happen in the through the media like a lot of those people are doing awful things like they're not necessarily good people and they get away with it because i think part of this veil of mystery and mystique and we put so much emphasis on fame and money and we collectively, at least up until recently, have just like turned a blind eye to the awful things that people are doing. Now, I feel like we're pay- paying more attention and we're calling people out. We've got cancel culture and accountability culture, but there's still that idea. And I think we're seeing that happen on platforms like TikTok, where all, a lot of young people on TikTok are just waiting for their chance to go viral because they still believe that it's going to change their lives and make them happy.
1: So what's really interesting is about virality on TikTok is, so there's two, there's so many things I was thinking of when you were talking. Number one is that the interesting parallel between virality on TikTok is what happens with a lot of musicians when they tour a lot and they're on stage. It's a dopamine high. There's, you get that dopamine high of that hit, but it's so unsustainable. It's such a high high that there's nothing really in real life that can match that high. And so that's why you'll have some musicians will get into drugs because there's a certain high that they're missing out on that they get on stage and they get through that approval from their art. And that's why musicians are more susceptible to drug problems because of that dopamine hit to their brain. That works very similarly with virality on the internet because you can you you hit that high note, you hit that attention, but it's super unsustainable to maintain that type of thing. And what's really interesting about TikTok and virality, because TikTok is the app where you can go viral most often, but it's important to note that it's because of how it works and it's supposed to work like that. So net, so Facebook and Instagram work on Their algorithm works on a network effect. You're going to see what people in your network are connected to. The bigger your network is, the more your content is going to get pushed out. If you have a million followers on Instagram, million followers on Facebook, that Facebook is going to use that information to assume that people like your content and push it out more. Network effect. TikTok uses the content, uses content buckets. And so it really doesn't matter how many followers you have. They don't use that in tallying up your, if you're going to get it out. Everyone's videos have the same exact chance of going viral. You have like a two hour window when your video is first posted. If the test group likes it, you get another test group and another two hour window. And that process keeps going as long as people like your video. Why it's important to know is that the the virality, you can't predict it. You can do, it's not, it's by the nature of TikTok's algorithm, you can't predict if you're going to go viral or not. And that sucks for creators because creators will get that one viral hit and then because of the way our dopamine works in our brain, you're going to keep doing, you're going to keep trying to get another viral hit. But TikTok is not designed to give you a viral hit every time. I think unless you're a super account, but that's a different conversation. But for the bulk of accounts, you're not designed to go viral every hit. And TikTok's really not going to let you because one of the important things to know about TikTok is that TikTok needs content. It's a content app. If people aren't making content, they can't keep you on the app. That's just basic business model. So it's important to give creators incentives to keep creating. Biggest incentive you can give somebody is an addictive model. It's People can call it gamification, which is what they call it in tech a lot because it sounds a lot nicer. So you can call it a gamified model. And <laughs> so they'll take that gamification and your brain you get a viral hit, your brain says, yes, I like this. And so you will keep making another video, possibly in that same content. And you're going to keep going until you get another viral hit, but you may not get another one. But how TikTok works is they'll try to give you more viral hits so it can keep hitting. The point of the matter is, is that the algorithm is made to keep content creators making content. And that's important to understand because this is so different than content creators making their own content for YouTube and getting a kickback and making or making something they love. This is not that. This is an encouragement to keep creating with very little kickback to creators and that's where I personally have a concern with TikTok and don't necessarily advise people to invest so much of their content creation time there.
2: One thing this brings up for me is how tempting it is as an artist to follow the trends or follow what is popular or follow what's viral, right? So I think I think that a lot of people start off perhaps with not necessarily the intention to make content because people will like it. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of people who want popularity, fame, influence, all those things, of course. But what I've seen with a lot of people and the struggle that I often deal with too and other artist friends is – the line between making your art for yourself like you were saying Brittany when you were when you were a young lady that you were just creating and you weren't doing it for any other reason than just to do it right It's like okay, this sucks. I'm just creating to create. But when you have something go viral or you have a hit record or a hit TV show, we could give a million examples here it's very tempting then ooh. I'm just going to hit that note over and over again or try and recreate that note in the same way and we've seen it so much with people I mean back in the day too on YouTube like we would meet different content creators and we'd be like oh you're the dude that made that video that got how you know 50 million views and then they'd try and do like a part 2 or a part 3 and it would never do anywhere near as good as that first one and they'd be like what I yeah I did his follow up and we had the same theme and the same character and the I mean, I think about. I think the one that comes to my mind, Whitney's Bane Cat. You knew I was going to talk about Bane Cat. Is this this YouTube video? This guy dressed his cat up like it's one of the best. Ba- like to this day, that damn video. Like God bless that video. But we met the guy who made it right, and he's trying to duplicate the success that just ballistic success of that first video. Couldn't do it. So the temptation, and I think the danger, is we try and replicate that success because of the dopamine. But what are we sacrificing in that process? I think, I think oftentimes we sacrifice a shit ton of authenticity because now we're trying to make art to get the likes, get the hits, get the dopamine. We're not necessarily creating from the most authentic place when we keep chasing that. But man, it's damn tempting to do it, isn't it? Because we get that first taste of fame, depending on how you set up your, you know, in YouTube, you know, your AdSense, you might be making a pretty penny if you get 50 million. views. Oh, I got to make that money. But I think it's so easy to lose our true instincts, our more deeper, authentic sense of the art we're putting out. Cause now we're almost like trying to, like you said, gamify. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to game the system now. I'm trying to get that other 50 million view video. And I say it because, and the other part of this too is sponsorship. Like everybody's like, I want to be an influencer so I can get brand deals. But the thing is with brand deals, Oftentimes, you also lose your authenticity because now you're doing what the brand wants you to do. Yeah, you're making money. I'm not eschewing that. You're making money as an artist. But in my experience and so many friends of mine, there's almost a resentment that sets in because you lose part of yourself trying to get paid and do what the brand wants you to do. So again, my reality too is everyone wants brand deals. Yeah, get free sneakers, free jackets, $5,000 a month, blah, blah, blah. It's not necessarily what you think it is. So
1: a hard to swallow pill that people will have to accept in that case is they are not being an artist. And I know this is going to be hard to hear, but (laughs) when you are making commercial content for a brand, you are now doing commercial work. It stopped being art. People don't want to hear that because it sounds better. Oh, I'm a free artist. But art is not taking brand deals. That is something else that is commissioned work, but it is not the pure essence of being an artist. And I think that where like, I'm like, everyone has a different view of art school and film school, but I do think that where people miss out on skipping a learning process with professionals is having a come to Jesus moment where people give them definitions of terms. And like in a typography class, I took the professor hammered in the difference between art and design. If you're making art, then the person who is, looking at the art can, def- that me- that person can def- take whatever meaning they want to, right? Like when we all look at Mona Lisa, we all genuinely have different views of what that painting represents. You're never going to find, there. there's, the point of the Mona Lisa is not to have a unified view, but the Apple logo, the Apple logo is design. That is not art. The Apple logo is supposed to communicate something very distinct, something very direct. And once you kind of understand the difference between those two things, you start to understand what you're doing. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is what they are actually doing, right? Like when I am writing a TV show, that's a different piece of art than if I am writing a commercial for an at and if you're writing a commercial for AT&T, you have an expectation that AT&T has to improve every single word. They're paying for the commercial. This commercial would not exist without AT&T paying for it. The reality situation is you got hired to write an AT&T script. Yes, it might be cute and creative, but at the end of the day, AT&T is funding it so it can sell a product. That's the clear clarity in the commercial world. Where people like influencers have a lack of clarity is they're not understanding their job. Their job is to, like, when you're taking a brand deal, you're selling a product. And I know it might sound sad that you can't be your authentic self, but you have signed up to sell a product. And yes, you're using your authentic self, but you're blurring the line between yourself and a commercial actor. And a lot of people don't understand that that's what they are doing to themselves, right? Because when AT&T goes to hire a commercial actor and gives them a script and say, hey, go pretend to be Bob, that person behind that, that actor is just being Bob in that commercial, then they're going to go home and live their actual lives. What influence are doing is they're becoming commercial actors alongside their real life. And you're creating a complicated relationship within yourself and within the work that you're doing because you're not doing art. And I know it's, it's, it sucks because people get into they they want, that's what they want to hear and what they're doing. But by the nature of what you're doing, it's not art when it's supposed to communicate something very specifically to an audience that's design, that's commercial work. And so I think that what I would hope for people to really take a step back and to learn what it is that they're doing. Learn what it is that you have asked yourself to do in a job. A brand is not giving you money because you're like cute. (laughs) They're giving you money because they're trying to connect with an audience that you have acquired. That's a straightforward straightforward thing and a lot of people get it very confused like oh i want brand deals and i want this and i want that like i'm just like why don't you go be a commercial actor like you'll get paid more and you'll get paid more consistently <laughs> and there's a union like why? <laughs> and you can go home afterward. <laughs> you don't have to maintain a social media presence there's plenty of people who do that if your only goal is to get brand deals like you c- can do that <laughs> like, but if your goal is to be an artist there's a lot of artists who are, who are broke, you know, artists don't typically make money like that. So are you an artist? Or are you a, are you a commercial actor? Are you a commercial sponsor? And I think that once people have an honest discussion with themselves, they will begin to understand what it is they're doing. And I think that their frustrations will come into view because I think people are less frustrated about the work they have to do. But I think, I don't know. I don't think, the brands are not the problem, in my opinion, like the brand deals, that's not the issue. The issue that a lot of people are having is they're just they need some more clarity on what their relationship to those brand deals actually are.
0: Yeah. Yes. And this is like giving me some mini aha moments, because I reflect on this often in terms of where I fit in. And it it sometimes feels confusing going back to what I was saying earlier about like how I've noticed the nuances and the differences between how different generations approach this work and how someone who's a Gen Z, they're growing up with social media. This is part of their whole life and identity. A lot of their identity has been shaped through social media, which I have a lot of concerns about from a mental health standpoint. And it's very natural for them to be sharing their lives online, as I was saying before, much like it, it felt natural for me or, or exciting, enticing for me to pick up a video camera when I was a teenager, but I wasn't sharing it with thousands or maybe millions of people, right? It wasn't public in that sense. It was private. It was very controlled. But that self-expression, we talked about like the different forms of art and how I think, unfortunately, because social media is that main common outlet for people, they get on there and they're sharing. They don't even really understand how this works. You know, we see these documentaries coming up, like The Social Dilemma and Childhood 2.0, and they're talking about how social media is made. I think this is part of this conversation is like, even adults don't fully understand social media. like The way you broke down TikTok, Brittany, it makes so much sense. But if you're used to the way that Facebook and Instagram work, you kind of just have been conditioned to think, well, that's just the way TikTok's going to work too. And then people feel depressed when their videos don't go viral. Or the shifts that have, have happened in our culture around our addiction to validation through social media and how people have shaped the way they appear online, even if it's not for their professional careers, the average person who's using social media is getting something out of it without fully understanding what's happening and how they're being manipulated. And, and, you know, we're, we're getting more transparency around advertisements and tracking, but what about all these years where we've been tracked and we've been manipulated by advertisements? I mean, I think it's a huge concern for me from a mental health standpoint. And then we get into the creator side. And to your point, Brittany, there just still is not enough education and transparency about what it means to be an influencer. And the aha moment for me, it's like, I feel like I have a little bit more clarity because I've been doing it for so long. Like I've had a chance to experiment and I've had a chance to watch it a little bit from the outside as it's been evolved. But right now I see so many people being influencers. Also that documentary, Fake Famous, you know, you watch that and you would think that that would be concerning for people. But honestly, Fake Famous is showing what's happening and what people are doing without fully understanding what it is that they're doing. And they, it's like the superficial awareness. If I take this type of photo, to Jason's point, too, like the kind of cookie cutter model that not only influencers take, but brands take. For example, there's a brand that I really love, and I've been watching them evolve since the beginning. And I saw their social media take a turn, and it feels like it's the wrong choice for them, for me at least, because they're trying to appeal to the masses, and they're working with influencers who don't seem to really know themselves. They're working with influencers who are doing the cookie-cutter things and basically Selling their appearance and selling their audience. And the brands, so many brands, not just this one, but many brands are like taking that cookie cutter approach to working with influencers. And so it just can perpetuates itself. The brands think these are the type of photos and videos we need to market ourselves. We need to hire this type of influencer, work with this type of influencer. So those influencers think I have to be a certain way in order to work with the brands. And so it it feels like somebody has got to interject and be like, it doesn't need to be done this way. And then to your point, Brittany, it's very confusing if you're an artist. If It's very confusing if you started out on social media to express yourself because the natural inclination is to try to make money and you see other people making money from it. I know, Brittany, you listened to that episode we did about bundle sales. And I will link to this in the show notes, by the way, for our listeners – Everything that we talk about today, there's a full transcript, there's links to the documentaries, to the books, to TikTok videos we reference. All of that is on our website at WellEvator.com. So you don't have to get overwhelmed with any of this and trying to remember it all. Go to WellEvator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com and you find this episode. We'll link to any past episodes we've mentioned, like this bundle sale episode and Jason and I were just talking about our experiences being in this group of like 60 plus influencers who are all selling their products and how there was like this bizarre cookie cutter way of business that didn't make sense, Brittany, because the people that started the bundle sale are just copying what somebody else did. And I've noticed this over and over again with influencers and brands right now. Most people using social media are just copying what somebody else did. And a lot of it goes back to people like Gary Vee and Gary Vee sets a standard and everyone's like, well, Gary Vee says I should do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. And then somebody else goes, well, so-and-so did it this way and had success. And I'm not blaming Gary Vee. I'm just saying he's really ahead of his, his time with a lot of things. The reason I'm on TikTok is because of Gary Vee, right? So how many people got on TikTok because Gary Vee said to do it? Myself included. So you get on there, you're following someone's advice. But to your point, Brittany, there's no like guidebook to it. And you also said in one of your emails to me that it's, it would be unacceptable in nearly any other profession. No one would hire a part time plumber who learned via YouTube. I love that quote from you. <laughs> like it's so well articulated. But brands are hiring influencers who are copying other influencers who are copying something that some guru said 10 years ago that probably doesn't even work anymore. And it's like, no wonder there's so many failures and no wonder so many people are confused and losing their identity and having mental health issues because nobody knows what the fuck they're doing and there's no guidelines around it. And it's like, I can just see all of this crashing to the ground If we don't get our acts together.
1: Oh, you know, what's really interesting is that like, so, okay, if AT&T is paying to make a commercial, they're spending like $3 million on one commercial, right? Then they have to spend money to place it on X, Y, and Z TV shows, right? I mean, X, Y, and Z networks. Influencer marketing will never cost that much. I just think it's important for people to understand that influencer marketing compared to traditional advertising will never, ever cost that much. Brands throwing money at influencers in the way you're describing doesn't cost them as much money as you think it does compared to the other verticals they have in advertising. And why I think that's important to mention is because when your exposure to the marketing industry is just as an influencer, you're not understanding the entire ecosystem of like what you're doing and so then you're looking at it like oh well how can this brands they they've paid me five grand they paid these 20 people five grand like that's still under 50 grand you're doing great (laughs) like when i was working running an influencer marketing program at a cannabis company i worked in like spending 10 grand on a marketing campaign was cheap cheap like that is like, oh my God, we saved money. But to that influencer, that's a lot of money. So it's important to understand that like, so that that's so that's important to understand that the money and balance between traditional advertising and influencer marketing means brands. Like, yeah, of course, like sure, like brands should do better with influencers. But if influencers don't work out, there's still commercials, there's still magazines, there's still ad roles on podcasts, there's still other forms of marketing. And I say that to say that because, because they're like not to say that influencers shouldn't feel important, but they should understand they're part of a larger ecosystem, right? It's a larger ecosystem of marketing that exists. And if they weren't using influencers, they would just use actresses and, and models, stuff like that. And so I say that to say that, like you're kind of making a point that people kind of don't know what they're doing and don't know the lay of their land. And I think that one of the dangerous things with social media and how easy it's made people to jump into it is that it's encouraged people to push past an education point. Like when I made that quote about how you wouldn't hire a part-time plumber, I was thinking of the fact that I recently had an interview for a podcast producer, but I'm not, a and I've produced content before, but I haven't edited the podcast. So she wasn't interested in hiring me. I understood that point blank, period. Like I, I no issue with that because I have an understanding that it's, it's a big gamble. It's a big risk to take on someone who is not fully aware of what they're doing. And so I say that to say that like, there's a lot of influencers who jump in. And I think that my, my fear, not my fear, my kind of issue with the way TikTok and I I say my specific, the companies I specifically have an issue with are Apple, In YouTube and then Google after they bought YouTube because there was there's such a way that Apple made their products and everyone can do it. Everyone you you using a MacBook Pro and you can make a whole YouTube video. All and then Canon jumped into not just Canon but there was an entire push and to make prosumer cameras is what they called them at first and then they dropped the prosumer and just called them consumer and making technology really available. And it was a really big market in the early two thousands to push this prosumer equipment onto people. And I were that where that just made a disconnect is a lot of people are jumping into something. They one don't feel like they need more education on because they one don't feel like they need more education and they two don't go forth and seek it. And what I see on TikTok a lot, there's so many people who are like, Oh, I've been shadow banned or I'm not getting views. And one TikTok is made like that. And but uh, so many people don't take the time to go learn that because they don't feel like they have to. And two, a lot of people just don't consider if they're making good content. And I know that just sounds harsh, but sometimes like you're just not making the type of content that's going to go viral. And it's just uh, the companies made these things so easy that people rush to jump in to do them. Because they made it just look so easy. It's so easy to use a MacBook, right? It's so easy to pull up and make a video and edit it and upload it to YouTube. It's There's so there's not a lot of friction in that process. And because of that, people, because of the, the lack of friction, people are like, oh, it's easy. And then they look at someone who's really big on YouTube and really big that's getting brand deals and like, oh, I can do this. And without having that just point of education, there's just, it's just really, it's, it's hard to, I don't know, the, the ease of the tools made it hard for people to grasp, but they need to learn how to use them, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, and that reminds me of another quote from The Death of the Artist. There's two parts. One, a woman named Molly Crabapple, great name, said, winning does not scale. It's easy to say that if people are just good enough work hard enough, ask enough, believe enough, then they will be successful. But that's a lie. Because it's easy to think that it's easy once you've made it. If you just make good art, just put your stuff out there, just make your own rules, just ask, are reassuring nuggets that have become a cottage industry, especially among artists who have managed to find success amid the new conditions. And... There's the myth that if you don't succeed, it's your own fault, which is not only a form of victim blaming, but it makes the classic American mistake of seeing economics in an individual rather than in systematic terms. The myth that if you don't succeed, it wasn't meant to be, which, of course, is a circular argument. And when you really look at this freezing, it's like, wow. Wow. Because that's, you see this so much on TikTok and people blame themselves without understanding the actual system, to your point.
2: I think it also like, in a way, weaponizes hope in the sense that, well, you know, you're a pretty good guitar player and Prince made it. It's like, what the hell? Tom Brady's a real good football player. You should keep going. You got a good arm, kid, you know? You're a pretty good tennis player. I mean, look, you know, Venus Williams did it. You could too. I mean, it, web, it weaponizes hope in the sense that then companies, coaches, businesses, and advertisers want to convince you you can be rich and famous too. I mean, we go back to the beginning of this episode, right? But it, it's so true in that sense that it's like they dangle the possibility of fame, money, riches, success, influence if we just keep going. But then people get taken advantage of like crazy, not just in this town in LA, but I think in general, if that's your motivation, but you know, as a counter to this, if you're not chasing those things, it reminds me of the, one of the videos I saw on your TikTok channel, Brittany, and forgive me, you'll have to remind me of the name of the photographer. You you did a video about this photographer in New York who did not accept money for his art. And I will use the word art because it was he didn't accept money for it he shot people on the street in their fashion and paraphrasing now but it it appeared that you know it was like a cnbc thing like people wanted to dress up in their fanciest most dope duds because they knew this guy would be taking pictures of him and you also mentioned that he lived kind of a destitute lifestyle in you know he lived in his studio in new york city and it kind of goes against everything we've been conditioned to believe which is that the only way you're going to be seen as a success is if you massively and grandly monetize your vocation as an artist, right? But what that does in some ways, it kind of reminds me of what Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in her book, big magic, which is like the danger of you trying to force your art to make you money is you strangle the life and the authenticity out of it. Like, why do you demand your art make money for you? Like when did, when the fuck did that become a rule? Well, there is no rules, but I think for me, it goes back to almost this like schizophrenic mentality we have in, I'll say American culture. I'm sure there's other cultures around the world that feel this way, which is, you know, like, let's say you're a kid and you're like, all right, mom, I want to be a writer. I want to be a TV host, a musician, a chef, whatever, you know, and the typical response in a lot of families, not all, is like, yeah, well, how are you going to make money at that, right? I mean, it's the classic conversation. The parents say, you you know, you should be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a plumber. Like, why, why are you going to live life? How are you going to make money at that? And we in our culture, like, vilify artists for being destitute and broke and struggling. But if you happen to be Lady Gaga, hey, congrats, Lady Gaga. We celebrate you. You are now a deity. We now make you godlike well, here's a question. If Lady Gaga wasn't rich and famous, would we be making her godlike? Probably not. But just because, and I'm not taking anything away, I think she's a a tremendously talented musician. But the only reason that we celebrate, I think, them is because they are rich, famous, and successful. What about the supremely, radically talented, soulful artists that never reach those levels? Will we vilify them? Ah, you picked a hard road. It's just, it To me, it's a schizophrenic relationship we have with artists where we're only going to celebrate you if you're rich and successful. And if you're not, we kind of kick you to the proverbial gutter a little bit. And that's one thing I can't stand that. I can't stand that part of our culture.
0: And it's not that far off from social media accounts too. It's like, look at how we treat people that have a ton of followers. I mean, all three of us know from the LA scene that... If you're rich and famous or you have a lot of followers, like people want to talk to you at parties. They want to invite you to parties. They want to give you things. And it's like this sickening thing because I think it ties into our core desire to be accepted and loved and validated. And you see all these people getting all that attention that you really want. And I think that's a huge thing that's happened in influencer culture is people see Someone like Charlie D'Amelio on TikTok and especially the younger kids on TikTok, they're like, wow, if I dress like her, if I dance like her, if I make videos like her, maybe I, too, can make that much money and get that much attention and be invited to the parties and get the role. I mean, Addison Rae, too, especially we see what's happened with her career and her getting TV movie deals and, and songs and like hanging out with the Kardashians. It's like, wow. And she just started on TikTok. Like maybe if I follow in her footsteps, I can have those things as well. And I, it's really unsettling, but we've been seeing this happen to your point, Jason, you know, most of our lives of, of celebrities in the classical traditional fame. I mean, the, classics version of celebrity versus Instagram celebrity
1: what's really interesting is that like so the photographer his name is Bill Cunningham he's a street street fashion photographer from New York he is if you're into street fashion photography you've 100% seen his work he has been so anyway the point um, I've brought that up in a TikTok was someone was talking I was talking about why I that why freelancing, you're, as you're, freelancing as an artist is not necessarily better and more freeing than a nine to five. And so Bill Cunningham was someone who had an ethos of being a photographer, being a fashion photographer, but he didn't get paid for a lot of his work. It wasn't until like the last few years of his life where Grace Cottingham of Vogue was like, or I think it was either Vogue or the New York Times either basically forced him to be employed so he can get health insurance. And he literally only took it for that reason. But I think it's important to consider people like Bill Cunningham because he's an artist by every sense of the word. And his work was published in a lot of places. Like if you look, he's in Vogue. He was in the New York Times. He had a column in the New York Times for years. And it wasn't like his work didn't get out there. But I think it's important to understand he cared, his relationship to his work mattered. And I think that where the Instagram, the social media generation has taken over is that people have lost an intimacy to their work. And instead of have being intimate to their own work. It's their work is between themselves and the audience. Like Bill didn't consider the audience because he didn't have to, because he shot for himself and then people did what they wanted with the photos. But I think it's important to understand stories like that because we still have a choice, right? Like, yes, yeah, social media exists, but everyone has a choice still to define their relationship with their art. And I also think it's, and I think that, to a big point, people have to, who are artists have to ask themselves, like, is it worth it to make money with my art? Right. Because even though like from my own perspective, I am a writer, but I don't choose to make money that way. I do not choose to make money as a writer because I just really want to be a good writer. And it's really hard to be a good writer when you're a working writer. It just is. That's just a fact of the matter. And so what I wanted to talk about with like fame, right. And especially when people look for money, I think some, so like, celebrity and especially how i understand it is the reason why celebrity is actually attractive is because it's getting people's approval without asking their permission really important to understand that and so when someone is like being like lady gaga she is an extreme version of herself and didn't have to ask anyone to do it stephanie giamata ain't there who's stephanie That real person's not there, Lady Gaga. And it's the power of the fact that she literally created a character out of her being and performed that character. And not only does that character exist, that character has a name, a wardrobe, a smell, I'm sure, has a way that Lady Gaga sounds. And what people are attracted to is that she's a weird person who wore meat to an award show, but people still loved her. Like people can't get that type of approval in their real lives. You know what I mean? And so when we look at someone like Charlie D'Amelio and we look at someone like Addison Rae, they're getting that from their own generation. They're getting that approval without having to ask people. In fact, people already agreed without asking. They have Two of the biggest followings on TikTok, and that's where sometimes the fame and fortune question gets murky when celebrity, right? Because I've also known a lot of rich rich people, but they don't have approval. You can be rich, you can hit that, you can hit all the notes, right? But like, people actually love Kim Kardashian. You know what I mean? People actually look at celebrities and identify themselves in them. They look at a person and say, wow, you've been through something like I have been through that, too. And then they watch 20 episodes of the Keeping Up with Kardashians and see how they've dealt with life. And I understand that people think it's only because they're rich. But the reality of the situation is if they've shown and they have edited a version of their lives that makes people relate to them. It might not be us in this room, but it's the people who clearly watch the show. And I know a lot of rich people who you're not going to watch a reality TV show of their life because they're not that vulnerable. They're not that open. They're not crying on camera and letting you see what happens when their husband cheats on them because that is a common thing that happens to people, right? Like people going through family breakdowns. Sure, may, people not may not do it where they're worth so much money in Calabasas, but like you see people go through stuff. So I think it's important to understand that, like, it's important to understand what celebrity is. And I think what sucks in our culture is how much fame, like how much fame and fortune have been put together. Right. Because I did say in the original TikTok that famous people typically aren't rich and rich people typically aren't famous. It's easy to look that way, but it's, but the, re- the distinction is kind of important because like there's reasons why rich people do the things they do to, to try to get fame because Everyone, I don't care who you are, is looking for a form of approval. And that's the same thing people are doing on social media. They're looking for approval. In our culture, we have less and less ways for people to find that, right? Like people have work, people have families, people don't have social clubs, right? People aren't going to church. People aren't like, there's not, there's less community theaters. There's less like people having community basketball games. And so where people may have gotten approval in the 80s, or like someone like my grandmother who had a bowling club and a bridge club, she wouldn't have a need for be on TikTok because she had a robust social circle that was giving her approval. These days, people don't have those same social structures in their lives. So we're seeking approval in just different ways. And social media is the way that we're just able to seek approval. And so when it comes to celebrity throwing on there and we see people who are able to get approval without that much work, they just are themselves, even though a lot of it is a constructed version of themselves, they are themselves. That's attractive, right? It's attractive to want to be approved by a massive amount of people. And it's just, yeah. And I think that social media just makes that murky because it makes everyone feel like they can access it, even though it is something that's really hard to access and maintain. So... Yeah.
2: You said something, Brittany, that I wanted to just zoom in on for a second. When you talked about your writing, you said that you are not writing for money. And I'm curious, two questions. A, have you written for money? And with those projects, what was your internal experience of writing for those things versus writing of your own volition without any intended purpose to make a commercial? And B... What we're talking about, again, I, I think it flies in the face of what the conventional societal messaging is, which is, you know, cash in on your passion, monetize your talent, you know, fucking side hustle. I mean, it's like we're obsessed with monetizing every goddamn thing possible. It's like psychotic almost. So that's not necessarily a question, but I'm curious about, about your decision to not seek to monetize your writing. And if you had at any point done it for money, what that was like for you.
1: So right now I'm in a point of not monetizing my writing because I really want to be good at it. I've taken some time off of writing and it's not that I feel like I suck, but I just, for this period of my life, I want to create without that pressure. And I think that I don't create well, like I do create well under pressure, but there has to be an underliance of confidence. Right. And that's where, that's why there, there are certain writers who I know who could crack out an entire TV movie in like eight days. And I would love to be that confident, but something that I had to learn was that that confidence and that ability comes from a lot of practice, like a lot of taking time to write a lot of shitty things to, and being comfortable with that to get to that point, point. and so for me, when I was, I had an experience where I worked for a TV writer and did a little bit of ghost writing. I had an experience where I co-wrote a TV pilot with a comedian, and I enjoy those experiences. There is really like I, internally, I enjoy collaboration. TV writing is collaboration; it's not a solo endeavor, and I love that. And I think that. For me, I didn't feel the confidence that I wanted to feel as a writer. I think the benefit of working under professional writers before I took my time out is it's amazing to me the ease in which certain writers can just crack something out. Like when people are professional, it's so impressive. Like it is, it's so impressive to see somebody pull together a very complicated thing in something that I know would take me like three months (laughs) and within a couple of days, because they have the confidence of experience and, I think that like, I have that perspective of not wanting to monetize everything to death because like most of the people I admire didn't. Most of the people I admire have more projects that are sitting on their computer unproduced than they have on IMDb. And the truth is, is that not like, even if you're the greatest pitcher, the greatest batter in the world, you're not going to hit a home run every time. It's just not statistically possible. And I, uh, learned under a writer named Bill Tobb who is a very old school writer like wrote Cagney and Lacey like he's a very old school writer and he just really had a perspective of just writing like just write and it's going to suck but maybe by page 50 you'll be good and i think that having that really just like sober like experience, like sobering reality of the fact that like writing is hard and it's not hard because you're not good at it, but it's because writing is hard in of sentence. <laughs> and so for me, it's a step to take a step back and just really respect the craft and become more confident in what I'm doing.
2: Yeah. I love you sharing all these perspectives, Brittany, because I think going back to sort of these fantastical perspectives people have on getting into entertainment, writing art, whatever it is. It's hard. I mean, writing a song is hard, writing a script is hard. I mean, a lot of this stuff it's a you know, I use the word grind, not in the sense of hustle culture, but it's a grind in the sense of like sometimes I'll be sitting in front of my keyboard or in front of my screen and just waiting for something to come out. And then something will come out and later on in the day I'll look back on it and be like, "Ugh, that was kind of trash." But like let me just keep, you know, just but the illusion is that everyone's going to be great if they, you know, it's this thing of I'll go to a weekend seminar, as you said, right? It's like, I'll go to a weekend seminar to become a writer. And all of a sudden I'm a writer, or I'm going to go to a coaching seminar. And after seven days, I'm suddenly a coach. It's like, no, you're fucking not. Just because you throw the title in your bio does not mean you are that fucking thing. And some people might be like, well, yeah, but you're, you're taking away people's autonomy by saying that people can be whatever they want. Like you can call yourself whatever you want but just because you throw a title on does not mean you are that thing. Like, that's my perspective on it. And the other thing that came up as you were were talking, I don't know why it came up. I don't necessarily expect a response for this comment, but I was reading an article recently about music and improvisation and spontaneous creativity. And the quote was from Miles Davis, and I'm gonna butcher the quote, but the essence will be there. He said, playing music is 20% the technical prowess of playing the notes and 80% is the attitude of the motherfucker playing the notes and that hit me in a way I was like it doesn't mean we abandon the technical mastery or the practice of the craft but at a certain point right you move beyond technique to a degree to put your spirit your voice your soul into the thing I just want to go back to that that point you made about people having an intimate relationship with their art and I love that I love that framework, Brittany, like that's going to sit with me for a long time because I know for me, the more that I commercialized what I was doing, the less connected I felt to it. Whitney knows this. I've talked about this ad nauseum, but once the money started coming in, the brand deals came in, the TV series, the things I've done, I felt more disconnected to what I was doing which is schizophrenic in a way, because it's like, yeah, but everyone's celebrating it and saying, yay, look at all the money you're making and you're so successful. But behind the scenes, I'm feeling empty because I feel completely disconnected from what I'm creating and I had lost the intimacy. So you dropped so many gold nuggets, but that one in particular is like, that's like Scrooge McDuck level gold for me. That's like me swimming in the gold coins like that. Thank you, Brittany. I need to swim in this intimate pile of gold coins, even though I don't need the damn gold coins anymore. Thank you for that, is what I'm saying. That was gold.
0: Well, what did you expect? She's wearing gold tones. I mean, the second Brittany appeared on the screen, I was like, she's going to be dropping some gold nuggets here today. <laughs> and I also love your point about it being hard, Brittany. I think that's incredibly important and ties right back into what you were saying about things being easy easy and companies like Apple who you know I love I love the creativity side of Apple I love like it's all about being against the status quo and it ties so much into our culture right now like people want to be unique but it's it's interesting I I feel like I read a book on this or an article at least that was like a lot of the times we feel like we're being unique but we're not as unique as we think like so many other people are just like that but we we feel like we're not We want to be special so bad. It might've been that book Selfie that we've talked about a few times on the show. I don't know if you've read that, Brittany, but it's really great. Feels kind of along the lines of death of an artist and just getting into the psychology around the selfie generations. And I also read an amazing research study about selfies and how those impact our self-esteem and our mental health. And I'm fascinated by that because I think there's this universal also tying into the relatability that you spoke on, Brittany, like that universal desire to be special, to be important, to stand out. And then like sometimes it's simultaneous with like people's fear of standing out and being in the spotlight and wanting to hide. And I see a lot of this exposed on TikTok. And that's what draws me back, even though TikTok triggers me sometimes. And I I get really irritated by this desire that so many people, myself included, sometimes have to like, get attention and fame and make money and get approval and go viral. But one thing that keeps me coming back, if not the thing that keeps me coming back to TikTok is there's so much relatability. And for better or worse, you see that you're not alone in a lot of your experiences and thoughts. And I think also going back to the community, Brittany, like, that's what's really great about TikTok right now. And at least up until this present moment in, in mid-2021, it's, it's a place where people are unfiltered for the most part. Sure, you see people wearing lots of makeup and doing dances that they've practiced. Sure, you see fancy videos that took a long time to make, but there is a comfort and the ease on another level of people that just turn on the camera and share a thought and suddenly you realize you're not alone and you feel connected. You feel the sense of community in the comment section. Somebody makes you laugh and you really needed that uplifting. But the danger I feel every time I open up TikTok is I don't really know what I'm going to get. And it's a bit of that Russian roulette experience. Sometimes I'll get on there and I feel comforted. Sometimes I'm laughing. Sometimes I feel really entertained. But sometimes I feel very triggered and I feel like I fall into the comparison trap. I see diet culture and beauty standards being thrown in my face uh, in ageism in terms of pitting the generations against each other, like millennials versus Gen Z is such a big trend right now. And that just like really bothers me. And just like, there's a simultaneous sense of unity, but also a sense of separation on there of this person versus that, this, this type of person versus that type of person. We see a lot of politics, or at least my algorithm, it's like, there's so many Democrats pointing out the flaws of Republicans and vice versa. We see racism on there. And then we also see people fighting against racism on there. And it's like, again, the Russian roulette feeling, I'm not sure if you relate to that as well, Brittany, of like, I get a little nervous opening up that app. Not knowing what experience I'm going to have because it's so all over the place for better for worse.
1: You know, it's just really interesting you say that because when I first downloaded TikTok, I was very taken aback by like the variety of experiences. And I'm someone who's very curious, and since I, I'm I, I'm lucky to have friends who work in a lot of different industries, so like I quickly digged into how TikTok worked. And after I learned a lot about how TikTok worked behind the scenes, I now approach it with a very sober, like logical mind as much as I can, because the thing about TikTok, especially like as soon as I started to create, because it's, it's a different experience on TikTok when you're just a viewer versus if you're a creator, it just is. And I really, and that, it's, that was a different, interesting thing to experience it was because when I was a creator, I mean, when I was just viewing, I looked at that very differently. I was like, I was more open to passive, like, I guess not like not tailoring my algorithm, if that makes sense. But after I started to create on there and started to understand, I don't know, I just, it shifted my point of view and I needed to understand the app more. But I think that like the interesting thing about like when I see about TikTok is that TikTok reminds me, like TikTok is in some way, in a complete amalgamation of, like, everything the internet's already done. Like, if you've been on social media, like, I've been on social media since, like, I remember deleting ICQ and Friendster, like, I've been on social media for a long time. And so I was a heavily MySpace user, a heavy Tumblr user. And what's interesting to me is to see a lot of the same Tumblr arguments come up on TikTok and see a lot of the same things happen And I like to match patterns. And I learned a lot of time ago that things typically aren't new. It's another one of those. And TikTok is genuinely another one of those. But TikTok is smarter than the other apps. And they've learned from everything else so- social media has done. And so what's interesting to me is to watch a younger generation, like reengage with things that I feel mm-hmm. like my friends and I already kind of like had to deal with like body shaming and body culture and like uh, mm-hmm. these various political arguments on Tumblr. And I think what makes TikTok really. Interesting... Okay. So yeah. So TikTok is just an interesting is it, it accelerates internet trends that have already happened with other younger generations. And I think what TikTok, like with the ageism, I think the ageism is really interesting on TikTok because there's never been another social media website where so many generations are on at the same time. Like previously it was like teenagers were on MySpace and then college kids were on Facebook and then it became adults on Facebook. Then adults were not on Instagram. TikTok, you have everyone there at the same time. And so it's really interesting. But what I think where there's always going to be friction when you have so many age groups is you will have, as everyone needs something different points in their lives, right? Because I'll see someone from Gen X and my parents are in their fifties. So they're in that generation and you'll see someone Gen X, they'll be talking about something about their kids, but then you'll see a millennial who might be their kid's age attack them because they feel triggered about something they said. And then you'll see the vice versa. And then you'll see a millennial talk about something in a Gen Z And I think that, number one, as TikTok loves that for engagement, like that's a great way to build engagement in your app. And two, I think it's something really unique that socially we haven't seen where casual spaces of generations are linked up together. And to me, that's what I observe more than absorb. Because I, it's so unique to have, like, teenagers hanging out on the same space 40-year-old doctors are hanging out on. That's weird. <laughs> but, like, and there's good aspects to it, but there are negative aspects to it as well. And I do think what's interesting is that I do see older people getting very offended by teenagers on there But, and I think where those people have to confront is their own inner, like, teenager being bullied. Like, and it's really interesting to see, like, people really reacting, like, why are Gen Z people telling me I can't do it? And my first thought is, like, why do you care? But then my second thought is you care because you're not getting approval from a teenager. And that might not even be, like, you at 40. That could be, like, your inner 17-year-old, your inner 15-year-old who, like, is jumping out and is ready to try to like in once approval, and your forty year old brain is like not stopping that little inner fifteen year old. Say, yo, bro, like we're not here anymore. Like we're an adult. <laughs> like we're not. We don't need that approval anymore. And I think that's really interesting to absorb to really observe on TikTok because a lot of people are not aware of most people walking around are not aware of their triggers and aware of like their what they emotionally bring to TikTok. And because of the way TikTok works, there's a there's a communication uh, brand theory that names this. But essentially when you see images really quickly, you don't have time to, Analyze them, right? Like if you're watching an hour long documentary, you have so much more time to analyze that over a 30 second TikTok. And so your emotions are triggered so quickly on TikTok, literally just because the medium, like it doesn't even have to be something, it's not even a malicious thing TikTok built into it, but it's literally how your brain works. If you see something for 30 seconds, you're going to think about it for maybe five seconds after that, like if that. And so it's the nature of TikTok, I think, creates a lot of these dynamics, even if it's not an intentional dynamic to be created. And I do think that's where I encourage people, especially content creators, to learn so much more about these apps and learn so much more about how the internet works. Swipe to Unlock is a really good book about this, about the internet in general, just how it works. And once people understand these things more and they're able to be more objective, then you can approach these spaces with less emotional vitriol. Then you're like, "Okay, well, it is not actually normal that I am seeing teenage content. Like it is actually not normal <laughs> that like I am seeing the opinions of 20 people, 50 million people in like 15 minutes. These things are not normal. So no, my brain is not reacting to them in a way that's normal." because things things are not normal and if you can really kind of help your brain und- like help yourself understand that you can approach the medium in a better aspect and i do think just the final thing to wrap up with that is that it's important to understand mediums right like it's important to understand that the medium defines the message. And it's like, we understand TV. We've just, we've watched it a much longer. We understand YouTube. we watched it much longer. And it's important to take time to understand the medium you interact with because that'll help you understand the context and what you're looking at. And then that'll even help you take away some of the, Maybe like some of the vitriol, some of like the, like, god oh, TikTok is doing this the internet's doing this, or maybe it's not doing this. Maybe it's just if you understand the medium better, you'll have more realistic expectations for what to expect when you approach it.
2: That's very sagacious advice. And we also, speaking of encouragement, want you, dear listener, to give Brittany Darby some love on her TikTok. So we are going to link to her TikTok account in our show notes for this episode, along with all the wonderful book recommendations. And of course, some of those gold, not even gold-plated, they're gold to the core, those golden quotes that she dropped today. Brittany, it was just, you've given me a lot to reflect on, and I love your pragmatic, real, authentic approach to this whole thing. And I know that our listeners are going to get a ton of value from this. And again, go to her TikTok feed. She's got so many truth bombs that she is dropping on there for all of you. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Again, our website is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Go ahead and click on the podcast section in the upper right corner. It will take you to the show notes and the transcript, all of Brittany's links, ways to connect with her. Do not ask her to write for you for money, whatever you do. She will... Actually, I don't want to say that. I don't want to speak for you. But maybe... Anyway, it better be something great, okay? If you're going to ask this young lady to write for you, it better be something great where she gets total creative freedom.
0: Well, I want to know on that note, Brittany, like, what's your, I was going to say, I don't like the word goal, but let's say, like, right now, in mid-2021, what would you like to play out for yourself in the near future, and, like, what are some of your objectives and hopes beyond the pessimism of social media and, and the entertainment industry? I love that question. I am going to keep
1: my pessimistic self in the entertainment industry because that is where my skill set is. But other than that, I sometime by the end of the summer, I plan on releasing my own podcast because I'm long-winded and there's so many things on my TikTok that I want to go into more depth on. And that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm focusing on right now. And I've been in development phase for that for about a month, and so by like mid August, we'll see. Brittany explains it all on podcasts everywhere, and so yeah, that's my biggest thing. I I think my I love researching, and I love imparting knowledge on people, and I love breaking through to the uncomfortable truth. It is one of my favorite things, and I have found via TikTok the world needs a little bit more of it. So I <laughs> I'm gonna dedicate a lot. I've been dedicating a lot of my time to building that show. And I really, I'm excited about that. It's going to cover entertainment industry, economics, cannabis industry, a lot of things that I'm interested in, but the entire crux of the show is that we're going to be talking about a lot of truth, break through a lot of the noise. And yeah, I just really, if anything, I just hope to connect to people and help people reach their actual goals and help people reach their actual like highest self. And sometimes, you know, and, 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 Sometimes you have to do that in a way of delivering truth, but I hope to do that for people.
0: Well, I think you're going to achieve that beautifully. I can't wait to listen. We will link to your podcast as soon as it's out in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for getting uncomfortable with us, Brittany, and being long-winded. We love that. This favorite combination along with research. It's like you're our dream guest.